0: All right. This morning is not going to be fun. So <laughs> it's going to be, we're going to leave here with no answers, okay? So just be prepared for that. All right. Last week we introduced Romans chapter 9, chapter 10, and chapter 11. What was one of the main things I said in regards to these three chapters of the Bible? See who can remember. Th- something very important about these three chapters. Do what? Well, okay. Well, it, doesn't fit. it doesn't fit. Doesn't fit. So a lot of people believe chapter 9, 10, and 11 are what? Parenthetical. Right? That there are parentheses that should be around it. So how it should work, you read from Romans chapter 1 to Romans chapter 8, then you jump from Romans chapter 8 to Romans chapter 12 verse 1 and they say if you do that you're really not going to miss anything everything would seem to make perfect sense because when you read chapter 9 10 and 11 basically we we looked at this what word is used over and over and over in chapter 9 chapter 10 and chapter 11 the word israel oh boy this is one of those things about theology that can be very depressing okay I don't care how many schools you go to. I mean, I've been to a lot and I've done a lot of studies. Obviously, all my degrees are either in theological studies or religious studies. And whenever you go, you you have this impression when you first start your biblical education that, oh, that, you know, everyone agrees. Everyone agrees. And then you find out nobody agrees on anything. And that can be very frustrating. And what can be maddening is we don't even agree within Christianity on the word Israel. Like, how is this possible? But we don't agree on the word Israel. And if we don't agree on the word Israel, we're going to have to do a lot of work on the word Israel to know exactly what we should or shouldn't believe in regards to it and understand all of the differences, okay? So today is going to be about trying to establish who is Israel? So we're going to start here. We'll go to Romans chapter 9. We're going to start here and we're going to do a little work and then we're, we're going to do, take a lot of detours. And we're going to hopefully I can help this all make sense. All right. Romans chapter 9. Everybody ready? Romans chapter 9. Now, typically when we start a chapter, I may give you an outline. I'm not giving you an outline of the chapter right now. All right. We may establish an outline by the time we're done, but I'm not going to give you an outline right now. Here we go. Everybody ready? Oh, boy. All right. Verse one. I say the truth in Christ. I lie not by my conscious conscience, also bearing me witness in the Holy Ghost. So this is obviously Paul starting and he wants to really emphasize something. Right. What is he what, what is what is he really trying to get across right here in verse one? That he's got something important to say and he wants you to know that he is not lying. He's not exaggerating. That he has something very important to tell you. That he is telling you the truth in Christ. I lie not and that his conscience itself is bearing witness in the Holy Ghost. This is this is something very important. right? You always know it's important when you walk up and someone Go listen, listen, listen. I'm not lying to you. I am not lying to you. you you're, you've got to believe what I'm about to tell you. Now a lot of times when someone starts that way then you're probably like, okay, what you're about to tell me is a lie. Okay? But 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 you hope that what they're about to tell you is very true and they want you to know the sincerity of what they're about to tell you. So, this is trying to capture the emotion here. Okay, what happens in verse 2? That I have great heaviness and continual sorrow in my heart. Okay. He's upset. There's something really bothering Paul. He's continually upset. He's sad, he's depressed. What has Paul so upset? Now, I want to make sure you understand this seems kind of weird when you go from chapter 8 to this, right? It's like, okay, wait, what, what just happened? Paul, Paul's like, okay, guys, look, it's almost like he's like, stop. What we've been discussing, I need you to stop and I need you, I need to share my heart with you, right? And I can understand this from a preaching perspective, right? Sometimes I can be preaching and then there'll just be a point that I'm like, okay, you know what, guys? I just need to stop what we're doing and I need to share what's on my heart. I need to share my emotions here. And he's kind of stopping the discussion to share something that's really made him emotional. Go to verse 3. What's got Paul so upset? Open book. Okay. For I could wish that myself were accursed from Christ for my brethren... My kinsmen, according to the flesh. Now, those are strong words. I know you may just read them and not think anything. Let me try to say this in a blunt way. Paul is saying, I wish that I could go to hell for my brethren. That's, that's, that's serious. Now, who's his brethren he's referring to? Kinsmen of the flesh. Israel. Jews. The, his people, he wishes that if he could, he would be accursed. He would go to hell for them. Now that's a powerful thought, which demonstrates what? His great concern, his great love for others. And we, we could have a sermon right there, right? We could, we could preach a sermon right here and ask ourselves, do we have that same pa- compassion and concern for other people? If, if you could, would you be willing to go to hell for someone else? That, that's honest, okay? A lot of people wouldn't. If we're just going to be honest, a lot of people would be like, no, I'm not going to do that. But could you and would you? Now, obviously, we, we can't, from a spiritual perspective, we don't get to make that determination. And even if I was to go to hell, that wouldn't stop them from going to hell. He's doing this in kind of a hypothetical way. If it was possible, Paul's like, I would be accursed for them. What happens next? Next verse. Who are Israelites to whom pertaineth the adoption and the glory and the covenants and the giving of the law and the service of God and the promises? Now, I want you, if you can, for those who take notes, I want you to write this down because this is going to be very important. What pertains to Israel? What pertains to Israel according to this verse? Right. A lot of things here. Everybody ready? Right. Open book. What's the first thing that pertains to Israel according to this verse? Okay, I think I heard three different answers. Okay, right. what, what, what do we have here? Adoption. Adoption. Okay? Everybody got that? Adoption? What does that mean? What do we mean when we say adoption? Anybody here adopted? Okay. Right? What does it mean that you were adopted? Someone chose you to be a part of a family, right? Chose. Now, this is very important because this goes right back to Romans chapter 8 when we talked about election and foreknowledge and all of this, all right? Israel was adopted or chosen by God. Right? I mean, God's the one who forms the nation, right? He calls Abraham, yes? Forms the nation, makes a covenant. right? So they were adopted. Right, next. Glory. There's a glory associated with Israel. What, what glory was associated with Israel? Thinking caps on. What glory was associated with Israel? God Himself, in a visible way, was manifested in them. Remember, within the tabernacle, the Shekinah glory, sometimes referred to, was right there. God's visible presence is there. That's pretty amazing, yes? I've never seen that. You've never seen that. Not only from there, then what did they have? In the temple. That's amazing. To be a, a nation, God is dwelling in your nation in a visible way. That's insane. That puts you different than every other nation. Agreed? He's not done that for America. That, that's pretty amazing. What's next? So we got adoption, we got glory. Covenants. He made covenants with them. Now what is a covenant? A promise a promise i'm going to do this for you now sometimes the covenant may have two parts you do this i do this sometimes it's just a one-sided thing right i'm making a promise a covenant with you correct does that make sense okay then they covenant. there are a lot of covenants made with israel yes what's one one of the most famous ones Abrahamic would be the most famous, right? That starts, that starts it all, right? That, I'm going to form a nation from you, right? Okay. The, the Abrahamic covenant. There's all these covenants. Okay, next. Giving of the law. They literally had God's law. Other nations didn't have that. Now, you can say it's a good thing, it's a bad thing, depending on how we understand the law. But okay, the giving of the law. Anything else? Well, what does that mean? How does the NIV translate it? Okay. In other words, they were given the opportunity to serve God through the temple and through the tabernacle and other things. They were, given, they were put in a special place to serve God, not like other nations. They were able to serve God in the worship, in the temple, in the sacrifices, in the giving, and all of these things. Right? Anything else mentioned? Well, the covenants may be. And that's a good. Uh, that's a good distinction. The covenant would be a specific covenant, and promises could just be those general promises. But still, part, kind of a part may, may not be a part one of the specific covenants. Right? But you could draw a correlation between them. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. In a roundabout way, okay, all right, is that everything? Is that everything in the verse? Well, just on that verse, that was four, right? Is that everything in that verse? That's a lot of stuff given to Israel. Now, here's the question: Are you ready? Ready? Which Israel was given all of those things? Okay. Well, I'm not giving you the answer right now. I'm just saying, that's the theological question. And there's not agreement upon this, okay? There's going to be disagreements here, right? What's the next verse? Who are the fathers and of whom as concerning the flesh Christ came, who is over all, God bless forever, amen. Okay, now, what, so what's another thing about uh, Israel, we could take from verse 5. What's a big thing that comes from verse 5? There's a number of things there, but let's just focus on one big one. How does the NIV translate verse 5? The mm-hmm. From them is traced the human ancestry of Christ. Okay, Christ came from Israel. That's a big one. Yes? The the line of the Messiah comes through Israel, not from the Gentile nations, from Israel. Yeah, the fathers, the patriarchs, yes. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, right. Okay. But specifically, Christ came from them. That's, That's a pretty good honor, is it not? All right, what's next? Not as though the word of God hath taken none effect, for they are not all Israel which are of Israel. This is the verse where all the problems begin. This is the verse that causes all the problems. All right, now, you may not understand the problem yet, but that's okay. So he, he just told them all of these wonderful things about Israel, yes? And then he's worried that what could, what, someone could think that God's word has no effect. Is that how it, how does the NIV state it? Verse 6? Oh, okay. Uh, it is not as though God's word had failed. Okay. We're not all who are descended from the Okay. All right. So he's worried that someone may perceive that God's word has failed, that God's word did not do what it's supposed to do. Now, why would he be worried that God's word has failed? What would, well, why would he even be bringing this up? Now, just remember some history. He's writing to the church where? In Rome. What has happened in Rome? All the Jews have been kicked out. They were exiled. They were exiled from the city. Where, what, where, Israel at this point, are they, where are they at at this point? Anybody remember the dating of the book? We covered it last week. I mentioned it. If you need to grab a grab a, any any resource you need. Grab a Bible dictionary. We got them right there, grab them. So say it again. 57 to 58 AD. Okay. So what's going on with the Jews here? Are they in, are they in control of Jerusalem? No, are they in control of anything? No. They're under they're under Roman control. Yes. And what's getting ready to happen? That's fifty-seven, fifty-eight A.D. What's going to happen 70 A.D.? Destruction of the temple. The end of Israel. For all practical purposes, it's going to be wiped off the face of the earth. A horrible, horrible event. Read the writings of Josephus. Not a pretty sight. They surround the city. People in the city start starving. There's some reports that they start basically eating one another. It's a horrible, horrible, horrible story. Nobody wants this horrible. It's just horrible. Israel's destroyed. The temple's burnt. That's why there's no temple today. If you go to Jerusalem, what do you see? What's left? A wall. And what do the Jews do? They stand here at that wall, right? And they and they'll put prayers on paper in the wall. What are they praying for? Messiah to come. What else are they praying for? They want a temple. They have no temple. What's sitting where the temple is? (laughs) A a mosque of Islam, right? A Muslim mosque, and they're not even given access to go there, right? I I, I think I did a podcast about this that that Jewish men will describe uh, to uh, well disguise themselves as being Muslim so that they can go to the Temple Mount and pray. Because they they want that back. They want that back, right? Because it's under control of Islam. It's a crazy situation. So guess what happened in 70 AD? No temple, no nation, no priest, no anything. Judaism today is a shell of itself because it can't be what it's supposed to be. So even at this point, there could be people going, well, God made all these promises to Israel, and look, there's nothing here. So God's word obviously failed. And then his next words is what some people believe is the solution. And what does he say next? Not all that is Israel is Israel. What in the world is Paul talking about here? What do you think? Okay. Well, let's let's just... Let's, uh, let's play a little game here and see who can figure this out, all right? Everybody ready? Thinking caps on. Okay, well, uh, we're going we're gonna to look for every option. We're going to look for every option. Let me do something really quick because I'll, I'll, when the sermon is over, I'll realize there's like 900 comments in the chat, and uh, I'll be like, wait a minute, and people will be like, you didn't respond to me. Okay, um, let me get here. I can open the app and go to the chat. So if anybody is saying something, okay, good. No, nobody's given any answers. Nobody probably wants to answer this. All right, here we go. What are our possible answers for what Paul is talking about here? What are some possible ways of understanding? And not all Israel is Israel. What could this mean? Just think about this as logically as we can, all right? I'll give you one. I'll, I'll get you started, right? I'll do part of the work for you, right? I'll get you started. Here's a possibility. Now you, if you disagree, by all means, you have every right to be wrong, because OK, I'm just joking. but you can tell me, all right, here we go. Not Now, this is the way I have it written down. Not everyone who is a part of Israel is really a part of Israel. Only those Israelites who come to faith in God are Israel. This still would be referring to the Jews. Okay. The ones who are saved, the ones who believe in God, the ones who are trusting God, they're truly Israel. So if you wanted to refer to it as a spiritual Israel, if you wanted to refer to it as spiritual Israel, it would be a spiritual Israel of whom? Of Israel. Okay. It would be Israelites who are saved. Now, does that really fix the problem? Now remember, some people think this is the solution, right? Hey, look, people are like, man, look at Israel. God's word obviously doesn't, doesn't take effect. Well, no, guys, Go guys, don't look at that Israel. Look at this Israel. Look at the people who believe. But the people who believe, did, did they get all of the promises that were made? Like, there's got to be something that's leading people to question whether God's word is taking effect here. But one solution is that all of Israel is simply Jews who believe. I just don't know how that fixes the problem. Right? Does that make sense? But if that, if that answer is true, then that doesn't involve Gentiles. That doesn't involve the church. That would just be Jews who believe they're Israel. And those who don't believe are not Israel. That doesn't really fix the problem for me. Yes? Right. What's the second possible answer here? Nobody wants to even try. I'm, I'm hearing silence. What's a, a, another possible option? Okay, we'll, I'll state it this way. All right. Not everyone who is a part of Israel is really a part of Israel. Anyone who believes is. So then Israel is Who? All everyone who believes, which would be Jew and Gentile, or what would be another, word of, of, another way of describing it? The church. Some people think that's the solution. Let's see, does, how does that help? How does that help? If we go with the first one, does that really help? The only people who are Israel are the believing Jews. Well, that doesn't seem to really help because, wait a minute, we still got... Don't we have all kinds of promises in the Old Testament that still hasn't been fulfilled even for those Jews? Well, who's the new covenant made with? But it's made with the house of Israel and the house, it's made with Israel. So, but I'm just saying even... Well, True. But I'm saying all the promises that were made still have not been fulfilled even to them. All right. So that, in other words, Paul's worried that someone's going to say God's word doesn't work. That, that, in other words, God said all of these things about Israel and it wasn't true. Because look at Israel. Well, if I say, no, 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 you're looking at the wrong Israel. Look at that Israel. Well, if I look at that Israel, what should I see then? All those promises. Do I see that? No. All right. Well, then let's redefine Israel again. It's not that Israel. It's all of them. It's you. It's me. It's all of us. Okay. Well, do we get those promises? Well, we don't get them in a literal way. So then what do you have to do with the promises? Got to spiritualize them. See that? This, you see where this starts becoming a problem? What's another way of possibly understanding this phrase? That's another way. Just just think about it. Y'all, y'all are from Texas. Come on. Y'all got to know another way to say this. Because Texans are good at doing this. Come on. All right. Let me help you. All right. I was born on March the 2nd, which is Texas Independence Day. You can't get more Texan than being born in Texas on Texas Independence Day than me. Right? I mean I'm born on Texas Independence Day for crying out loud. Right? None of you can claim that. Yes? Okay. But most people from Texas would probably say, You're not really a Texan. Because I don't typically think like most Texans think. I don't have the same kind of ideas. I'm usually kind of viewed as, are you sure you're not from California, Seattle, New York, right? <clears throat> There's something like wrong with me because I don't quite fit in in the Texas way of thinking, right? I mean, I've, I've told the stories of my wonderful experience in four years at Gymned High School, where I clearly did not fit in, and they clearly let me know that I did not fit in, and I let them know that I didn't care if I didn't fit in. And it was nothing but conflict and problems, okay? I didn't get along with anybody there because I wasn't gonna play their little reindeer games, right? I wasn't gonna do what they told me to do. I wasn't gonna come walking in wearing cowboy boots, listening to George Strait. It wasn't my thing, right? I didn't fit in. So sometimes what we say is, Well, you're a Texan, but you're not really a Texan. Is that a common expression? I remember when I I first became a Christian and I started talking to my pastor at First Baptist Church Tuscola about possibly becoming a pastor. And then he said, "Okay, well, let's go get some coffee. And I was like, "Uh, I don't drink coffee. He's like, well, you can't be a Baptist. And I'm like, well, then I guess I'm going to become a Lutheran. And I became a Lutheran. Okay, no, not not because of that reason. But but you get the idea. There's a a lot of times we say those kinds of things, right? Right? So if we think of it from just kind of that kind of an expression, what is Paul saying then? What would Paul be saying if we understand it that way? I'm not saying this is right. I'm just trying to get us to think, right? You know, I love to do that. What would he be saying then? What did he just mention? What are all those things he just mentioned? I told you to write them down. Adoption. Covenants. Law. If you are an Israelite, but you basically reject all of that, you don't care about the covenants, you don't care about the law, you don't care about any of that stuff, then are you really an Israelite? In other words, he's saying some of you don't really act like an Israelite. You're not really an Israelite because you don't really care about the things of God. Well, no, this, just, just, this is just a, a, a phrase. This is just a statement that we use. He's not making some theological term about, okay, Bobby's not really an Israelite. He's just saying, you're not really an Israelite because you're not acting like an Israelite. Yeah, this is just a, just a statement that we make, right? I mean, if you tell me that I'm not really a Texan, I'm, I'm still a Texan, right? Okay, I was still born here. Okay, right? Okay, does that make sense? All right, so in other words, you can't remove where I was born from. You can't change that. Correct? I mean you can try, but you can't, I mean it's not gonna change anything. Correct? In other words, this is not trying to make some major theological statement. He's like, hey, I know you guys are saying that God's word has no effect, but just make sure you understand just because someone claims to be an Israelite doesn't mean they're truly an Israelite in the, in the sense that, in other words, you may see what these Israelites are doing and they may look like they're, they've abandoned God, but just realize that they may not even really be a real Israelite in the sense of the wor- of the true sense of the word. And then he's going to theologically explain it moving forward. In other words, should we stop? and find the answer here, or should we wait to find the answer when we're done with chapter 11? I will argue we wait till we get to the end of chapter 11 to figure out the answer. Now, I'm not saying this works. Let me just give you, um, I think I have a commentary here. Just, I'll just give you how some of the commentaries handle this, because this is common. This is common here, all right? Um. Okay The thought expressed here is essentially the same as found in other, in, in other parts of Roman, we, uh, other parts of the book of Romans. Not in all the descendants of Abraham or of Israel was the covenant promised, destined to be fulfilled, but only in the hearts and lives of those who, by God's grace, would repose their trust in him and strive to obey His will out of gratitude. In other words, what they're saying, what Paul is saying is that the, own, the, the covenants were just for those who truly believed. They go on to say, Moreover, in harmony with all of this, the line of the covenant would run through Isaac. It was he who would be counted as Abraham's seed and whom the covenant promise would be fulfilled. The true seed was Isaac, not Ishmael. Similarly, it was Jacob, not Esau. It is important to point out that although the statement for not all who, is, who are of Israel are Israel is cast in a negative mold, the positive implication is there is indeed a true Israel. God's rejection of Israel is not total or complete. His word has not failed and never will fail. The remnant will be saved. And then he goes on to say God's people are here called the children of promise. And they go on to basically kind of point out that guess who is Israel? Everyone who believes. So they immediately go with kind of a theological implication here. Now, I agree. Did God pick Isaac over Ishmael? Yes. Jacob over Esau? Yes. Did the the Jews have to believe? Yes. If there was going to be salvation, if they rejected God, no one is questioning that. What What is the question we have to figure out? Are you ready? This is I want you to write this down. And I'm going to give you a couple of questions, all right? Because I can never just ask one. Is God done with national Israel? That's number one. Is God done with national Israel? And guess what the second question would be? No. Did God replace national Israel with something else? Now, I went, to, I went to all the different schools I went to. I went to plenty of schools who said, God's done with national Israel, and they were replaced. I went to schools that didn't say that. There are churches who believe he, he is. There's, there's, there's churches all over the place who believe differently about these things. So it's not an easy answer. What do we do when there's controversy? What do we do whenever we find ourselves in theological controversy? What's the right way to approach it? Everyone in this church should know I've taught you a million times. What do we do? Well, just reading this verse alone, it comes down to what you want to do with it, right? And I've already given you that there's a possibility that you could just say, okay, well, spiritual Israel is just made up of Jews who believe. You don't have to have anything replace it, right? So I can already give you other possible options. So here's what we do. Whenever there is confusion, there's theological confusion, you leave the confusion and you go do what? Establish what can be clearly understood? Now, will that give you the answer? No, but when you're sitting there trying to figure the think of try, trying to think of trying to get to the answer as climbing a ladder, right? And at some point, you may fall trying to get up there. You need a good place to land where you don't break yourself into a million pieces, yes? Philologically, we've got to establish what is clear, so when we get up here and we're like, I still disagree, I disagree, I disagree, I can say, yeah, but look at what's clear, because sometimes what's clear limits the number of options you have at the top of the ladder. Does that make sense? So got to, guess what we need to do today? Establish what's clear. So are you ready to do that? What time is it? Ugh. Why is short? Why is church so short? I don't understand. All right, here we go. I know you're thinking it isn't, but it feels that way to me. All right. What we need to do is we, and, and there's not, I wish someone would write a book this way that may be out there. I wish that someone would give a book that lists every promise, every, every single promise, whether it's in a covenant or outside of a covenant, given to Israel from Genesis to the end of the Old Testament. Because if we had them all in front of us, a list of every single promise then that would be very important, right? Because if we see all of these promises, then what do we have to do? Just, and before we even look at them, I'll at least try to establish this concept. When, would everyone agree there's lots of promises made to Israel in the Old Testament? Would everyone agree? Right? Okay, if you don't know, just believe me. There's lots of promises, all right? Now, once we see all, let's say, let's, I'm just going to throw out a random number. Let's say there's 30. Let's say there's 30, Right. If we have 30 promises made to Israel, and if we look, 2022, right, we get in an airplane, we fly to Jerusalem, we go to Israel, and we look around, and let's say we see 15 of those have not been fulfilled. What do we do at that moment? Well, we could think, well, God's word failed. Isn't that what Paul's concern is in Romans 9? What does he say right there at the beginning of that verse? Has God's word failed? Not not that God's word has taken no effect. We could argue, well, man, these promises didn't come about. So what what would be our options here? These promises didn't come about. One, we misunderstood the promises. They're not really promises. Or two, the Bible is just a lie. It's just a lie. Didn't happen. Or three, they haven't happened yet. Or four, they've been given to someone else. I want everyone to write those down. Let's go through those again. If we look and see that there's like 15 promises to Israel that has not been fulfilled, what, what's our first option? We misunderstood them. Thank you. All right. We misunderstood them. We, we, so we have to go back and look at the promises and figure out where we went wrong. Number two. What's number two? The Bible's a lie. It's just the Bible's not true. What'd be number three? Hasn't happened yet. What'd be number four? Given to someone else. Really, that's your only four options, yes? That's your only four options. So guess what we need to do? We need to go back and look at some of the promises given to Israel and then figure out one of those four things. Why will this help us? Well, if we have all of these promises, right, it may begin to help us figure out who Israel is or isn't. And has Israel been replaced? Think about it. If the promises have been given to someone else, then Israel has been replaced. If we can establish these promises weren't given to someone else, then that would mean Israel hasn't been replaced. Correct? All right. So let's just start. I'm just going to pick random verses. We'll look at them. We're not going to get very far and we'll just see what we can find. Everybody ready? I'm not even going to read about these verses, but I'm just going to grab, just go to Hosea chapter 3, verses 4 through 5. Let's just grab this one. Hosea 3, 4 through 5. Hosea 3, 4 through 5. All right. I'll I'll put this in a practical way where the younger people will understand. If your parents come to you and say, hey, when you turn 16, we're buying you a brand new car. And you get to pick the car. And then you turn 16. And they don't give you that car. Now, one, you may go back and say... Hey, I know you're the parents, but you're liars, which may not be the smartest move, but okay, you could try that. The parents could say, you misunderstood the promise. You see, there was something in the small print, right? At 16, you're supposed to have a 4.0 and you're supposed to be a valedictorian of your class. You didn't pull it off. Oh, I missed that part, okay? Or, or whatever the case may be, like you, you missed something, right? Or... One of your friends pull up in a brand new car. And you're like, whoa, oh, who got you that car? Your mom and dad did. Well, what? What why did you give? And then you're going back in the house. First, you're probably done with your friend. You're like, just keep on driving. We're no longer friends, okay? All right. And you're going to go back in and go, why did you give it to them? And they're like, wow. <laughs> they're a lot better kid than you are. I mean, if I had to choose kids... That would be the kid I would choose. So they did everything I asked them to do. You didn't. And you'd be saying what? That's not fair. So ask yourself this. When it comes to Israel, should Israel be saying, that's not fair? Now, does that make it more like practical to you? Make make it more practical to you? We're trying to figure out. I know for you, you're like, and listen, there's, for the younger people, you may be like, yeah, this is all that technical stuff. I don't really care about this. You do care about this. And here's the reason why. If God could make promises to Israel that he simply gave to someone else, or he didn't fulfill those promises, then guess how good the promises are that he gave to you? They're not very trustworthy. I want to figure out, does God keep his promises? Because there's one promise that I'm really holding on to. It's pretty, pretty, pretty good one. Let's see if, if you remember this one. For God so loved the that he gave his only begotten that whosoever believeth in him. Good job. I hope that promise is true. I don't know about you. I hope it's true. That's a good promise. That's a great promise. That's an awesome promise. Because I don't... I don't want the option. I don't want. I don't want the other. The other option, which is, well, to perish. I don't want to suffer for eternity. Right. So that's a pro- I want to know. Can I trust that promise? And in a roundabout way, isn't that what Paul doing in Romans nine? Because some people are questioning God's word, all in regards to Israel. So let's look at the, uh, Let's just look at a couple of promises here, and we'll stop. Okay. What's the first one I gave you? Hosea chapter three. Verses 4 and 5. Tell me what the promise is. Is there a promise there? Hosea 3, 4 through 5. What do you see? They shall return. Get it back. Now, we would. We, this is obviously referring to Israel, right? Okay, so how, how specific is the promise? They're going to lose everything. And what are they going to get back? All right. Here we... I'll just read it to you. Okay, we said Hosea 3, 4 through 5, right? For the children of... Okay, please... See, I wanted you to be able to establish we're talking about Israel, right? So I'm not making that up, right? That's right there, right? They shall abide many days without a king, without a prince, without a sacrifice, without an image, without an ephod, without the teraphim. Afterwards shall the children of Israel return and seek the Lord their God and David their king and shall fear the Lord and his goodness in the latter days. This seems to, to establish, what, what are they going to get back? All of those things are going to lose. Now, I start having some questions here, don't you? Even when they came back from Babylonian captivity, did they get all of those things back? And even if they got them back, they didn't have them very long, did they? Because not long, in fact, you have them returning from Babylonian captivity, and what do we have when you open up the New Testament? Do they have a king? Do they they have anything? They're basically under the control of Rome again. So was that fulfilled? Some will say, well, it was fulfilled. Some will say, well, it's fulfilled spiritually. It's not fulfilled literally. Well, I will ask you when they were taken away, was it literal? So was this fulfilled or not fulfilled? How was it fulfilled? That's a good question, yes? Everybody should say yes, okay? Go to Ezekiel 37. Well, we'll stop with this one because it's 1205. We're not getting very far. Yeah, Ezekiel 37. All right, Ezekiel chapter 37. Verse 11. Ready there? Ezekiel 37, verse 11. Here we go. Now, if you, don't, if you don't know what happens here, there's a valley of dry bones, right? Bunch of skeletons. The valley's just full of them. And Ezekiel's to prophesy to them and then they take on flesh and they begin to move. And, and you're like, what, what is going on here? What is going on here? Well, we get some concept of what's happening in verse 11. Ezekiel 37, 11. Then he said unto me, son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Behold, they say our bones are dried and our hope is lost. We are cut off for our parts. Therefore prophesy, say unto them, say unto whom? The whole house of Israel. The whole house of Israel, all right? Thus saith the Lord God, behold, O my people, I will open your graves and cause you to come up out of your graves and bring you into the land of Israel. And you shall know that I am the Lord whom have opened your graves, O my people, and brought you up out of your graves. And, ye, and, uh, and shall put my spirit in you, and you shall live, and I shall place in you and in your own land. Then shall ye know that I, I the Lord, have spoken it and performed it, saith the Lord. All right, now this seems to be what? A returning to the land. Now, what could be the first question we'd have to ask ourselves? Was this accomplished when they came back from Babylonian captivity? What would be a possible problem with that being the fulfillment? What, who, who returned from Babylonian captivity? The southern kingdom, not the northern kingdom. Yeah, Judah. That's problem number one. Look, any good Bible student would have to go, well, wait a minute. That's not the whole house of Israel. Is, Is this just being used to refer to only the southern kingdom? Because the northern kingdom goes into Assyrian captivity never to come back. So that's a problem right there, yes? I'm not saying that that everything is perfect here, but let's continue. Verse 15, The word of the Lord came again unto me, saying, Moreover, the Son of Man taketh the one stick and write upon it for Judah and for the children of Israel, his companions. Then take another stick and write upon it for Joseph, the stick of Ephraim, and for all the house of Israel, his companions. What does that seem to be doing? That's That's all of them, north and south. Now we got a problem. What's the problem historically? Not all the north came back. Yeah, we, we could even break it down to tri- tribes. I mean, we could, we, we, this would, we could end up with all kinds of issues. And join them one to another into one stick, and they shall become one in thine hand. What does that seem to be referring to? They're being united again. Has that happened? Not only has it not happened, it's almost impossible for it to happen right now in the world in which we live because what occurred in 70 AD? All genealogical records are destroyed. I don't know if you're a tribe of Levi, Judah, Benjamin. Nobody knows which tribe they're a part of. So it'd be impossible even to say that it's restored. Do they have all the land? They're having close to all the land. They have a little small part of the land that was promised to them. The land that was promised to them goes, I think, up to parts of Egypt, into parts of Syria. I mean, it, it, there's a large portion of land that they do not have. And even the land they do have, they're constantly what? Fighting to keep it or losing parts of it. So it that, that hasn't been fulfilled. What, what does it say next? Next. And when the children of thy people shall speak unto thee, saying, Will thou not show us what thou meanest by these? Say unto them, Thus saith the Lord God. Behold, I will take the stick of Joseph, Joseph, which is in the hand of Ephraim, and the tribes of Israel, his fellows, and will put them with him, and with the stick of Judah, and make them one stick, and they shall be one in my hand. And so therefore, he makes it clear what he's talking about. Has that occurred? No. No. Now, we won't go into any more promises because I, I keep, I'm going to try to keep my promise, all right, and try to end. So, what's our options? What's our options at that point? What's our list? I gave you that list of what your options are. Okay, so first, we misunderstood the promise. It seems kind of clear, yes? Maybe I'm misunderstanding it. Seems kind of clear. What's going to happen? He's going to bring them up, bring them into the land, and they will now be one. I don't know if I've seen a fulfillment of that. So what would be a second possibility? The what? Bible's a lie. Well, we don't believe that, right? And there's too many other promises that were fulfilled. Yes? So what's third option? Hasn't happened yet. Now, let's be honest with each other. Is that not a reasonable possibility? It it hasn't happened yet. Now, you see, immediately when you say that, people go, oh no, you're going crazy with prophecy and you're going to start predicting when Jesus is going to come back. You don't have to go crazy simply to say, I think this promise has got to have a future fulfillment. That doesn't make you crazy. That's just a the Bible, Jesus keeps his promises, Yes? So he's got to keep this promise somehow. And this would mean Israel is whom? This promise would be for national Israel, right? I mean, clearly they understand this is not only for those who are saved. Did he say only for those who are saved? Everyone, right? Okay, now you could argue that this would be the saving of all of Israel, but that's a whole different story that we'll have to talk about in chapter 11. Now, what's the fourth option? He gave it to someone else. So, how would that work if you were to write a paper for this for school? How would this work if, the, if we read that passage and we say that that means God gave that promise to someone else? What, how does it typically understood? Who did He give it to? To the church, and that would include us. And the land doesn't mean land; it just means that we're all going to be saved and we're going to be in the church. And well, that's it. It's the spiritual. That's hard to, 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 hard to read it that way, yes? Why is it hard to read it that way? Well, one, when they went into captivity, did, did they go into spiritual captivity? They went into physical captivity. So when you promise them a physical return, why would the, the return be spiritual when the captivity was literal? You see where that starts becoming a problem? And when, who went into captivity? Did the church go into captivity? Israel goes into captivity. So why would the return not be Israel, but become the church? Well, Romans 11 says not all Israel are Israel. Okay, well, even if you go with that concept, then the only people who should return would be saved Jews. It wouldn't be Gentiles, right? Where do you throw Gentiles into that that definition? This is just a few of the promises that we have to look at. We're going to go through like 11 different sections of promises. Right. And we're going to look at them all. When we're done, I think you're going to be like, man, either the Bible is a joke or these things have to happen. I think that's where you're going to end up. Right. I know I would like to have gone further, but I want you to at least understand this. So let's stop here. Why is this important? Let's just end here. Why is it important? It's important for us to know if we can trust God. I want to make sure we understand that. It's important for, to know if I can trust God. I know when you come to church, you're just supposed to say, trust God. But we, when we study the text, we, we question whatever the text causes us to question. What is Paul trying to address here? Does, God, does God's word work? Does it actually work? I will argue one of the best ways to know that it works is not to look to you or to me, to look to what God did with Israel. Because everything he said he was going to do seems to have been fulfilled perfectly or will be fulfilled perfectly. And if that's true, if we can determine that that's all true, then guess what? We can trust what God has to say. And I know that you can look at Israel and like, well, it it didn't work. I I think we're going to find out he made a promise that, that Israel would be set aside to what? To the Gentiles. And then when that time is over, he's got to fulfill all of those other promises. And if he doesn't fulfill those promises, then I can't can't count on any of them. This is not just some academic thing that's like, whoa, that's that's that stuff that makes no sense. It, It makes, this has everything to do with you. Everyone sitting in this room, it has something to do with you. If there is a God and he's made a promise, can you trust that promise? If you can, that's good news. If you can't, Well, then, man, we're all in trouble. I want to trust them, but I want to know I can trust them. So I'm willing to call them into question until we can trust them because it's okay to question things. All right? We'll have to stop there. I wish we could have gone further, but there you go. All right, let's end. Lord God, we come before you this afternoon. We believe that your promises are true. We believe your promises will come to pass. But to study this, we have to call things into question and we have to challenge them. And I pray that you just help us question and challenge so that when we're done, we will have a better understanding of your promises, a better understanding of what has been promised to Israel, what hasn't been fulfilled, what will be fulfilled so that we can better understand your promises for us. Give us a desire to figure these difficult things out and not just... Pass right over them, but be willing to, to struggle until we can find the truth. And we ask this in Jesus' name. And God's people said.